Anybody know? Yes, Men's Fellowship Breakfast, 7.30, and uh, come on in, have a good time. You're going to come out and enjoy and then have a good fellowship one with another. And I know we'll have a good time together as we get together as men all the time. And so it's 7.30 this Saturday. Amen. Now, also, it says May 1st, or May 18th, but that was a typo. And uh, I'll take responsibility for it because I'm the pastor, so, you know, go from there. Anyways, Bible study this Wednesday night. We continue. Actually, we think we should probably finish up our study in James this week, and then we'll get into a new study in Hebrew, uh, in uh, Proverbs. And I believe that we'll have a good time together as we continue to open up God's Word and take the Word of God in such a way that it can apply to our lives. See, it's real easy for us just to go through the motions and, and say this, that, and the other thing, and have faith. Say we have faith, certain things are going to happen. But so important for us to take the Word of God, the precepts and principles of the Word of God, and apply them to our lives, because that's where we find our victory. You know, if we're not putting the word of God into our lives, then, you know, why are we praying for God to intervene? He's already started to, by way of his word. And it's a step of faith for us. And that's an action that we take to say, Lord, you know, I trust you. And I, my life is in your hands. And so, therefore, because I trust you, I'm going to take the word, your word into my life and begin to emulate that. Allow your Holy Spirit to work in my life. And praise God, good things can happen. I believe that with all my heart, soul, and mind. Amen? And amen. So, I think that's about the only two things we've got going on. Oh, nope, men's, well, I'll just put it in your calendar. A sweetheart social on February 22nd. Now, I know we've been working on it. Have we got anything going there? Um, Did you find anything yet? We are looking, I'm looking at a Valentine's uh, murder mystery because I've had some people approach me and ask if we could do another one. We <laughs> did a couple's one. Don't worry about it, guys. Nobody in this church is going to have it, okay? <laughs> Murder mystery, you know, one, one of you guys. So give me some feedback on how you feel about doing it. I'm still looking into it to see if I, if it's appropriate for us or not. Um, and um, otherwise we will just, we will have dinner here and do it here in the gym probably. Or we'll go back to our dinner out at a restaurant and um, back here for a, a comedy movie or something, so. So you got huh? More to come on that. Yeah, yeah. put that, that to be announced or they do to be or whatever they do. Go from there. Alrighty. At this time, young people, you're dismissed to go downstairs, and we need to call them the cross cross kids. Go downstairs, and I know that Angie's got something prepared. You know, I went. I you know, I went into the gym. I went into the church last night, and I saw these stripes and stuff going down. I said, that's got to be picked up. You know, I gotta, who's gonna who's gonna leave this mess down here? And I mentioned it to Dan. I said, I went over next door, and there was somebody left these big, I don't know what it was, some tapers right down the middle. I picked it all up, though. She goes, you didn't do that. I said, well, it was in the middle. Of the, who put that down there? You know? I know she didn't. I, had, I didn't do it. I didn't take it up. I knew she was got something cooking, you know, and uh, we go from there. Anyways, uh, well, today, year 2020, the year of resolve, choosing the right door. Now, so far... We've been looking at this since the very beginning of the year, and uh, we've concluded that this year, 2020, is going to be the year of resolve. We started off by saying that we're going to resolve by not allowing people to define us. We're going to choose the short-term pain for long-term gain. Can you say amen for that? Nobody likes that one. And let's choose God's values over the world's values. Number two, we're going to choose the right guardian, right? The right guide. Number three, we're going to choose a faithful life. And number four, today, we're going to choose the right door. Choose wisely. 2020 year resolve. Choosing the right door. Amen. I believe if we apply these principles that we're dealing with this uh, beginning of the year, we'll be able to uh, experience the power of God in our lives, and we can continue to grow in His God and His grace. Amen. Father, as we come before you right now, Lord, I ask you to just add your blessing to the Word. Lord, I know it's already been anointed, but touch each one of our ears, Lord, that we might hear and take the Word into our lives, Lord, and be able to transform by it. Father, the message we have here this morning, not only will it do us well, but fathers begin to share that with others around, they can also experience your life as well. Touch and strengthen as always you do, and you receive the glory and the honor we pray in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Choosing the right door, choosing the right door. You know, the word door actually appears around 180 times in Scripture. And so doors are a metaphor. And they can bring a lot of meaning, these metaphors can bring a lot of meaning to our own personal lives. Sometimes God will open up doors for us 
in our lives, and sometimes he closes doors. So look the person aside you and say, you have doors and I have doors, we all have doors. Say, you have doors and I have doors, we all have doors. And amen, it's true we do. And, and we walk through doors that we don't even realize we're walking through at times. Or into, it's possible. That, uh, it's true. I remember when we first got the property years and years ago, I would, it was dark, and so I, I just really didn't know the property well, and, and downstairs the building, and, and we had a lot of construction going on. I remember walking down the center of the hallway and whack, right smack dab in one of the doors. And I said, Lord, this is, this is going to be fun the rest of my life. And you just kind of let me know what's going to happen. And that day on, even to this very day, I walked down like this, just in case, you know, one of those doors are open. We all have doors in our lives. And if I was to ask you this morning to make a list of all the doors in your house, in your life, could you do it? What would you come up with? How many would you come up with? How many have front doors in their house? Just a couple. Okay, that's all right. How many, <laughs> how many have back doors in their houses? How many have side doors in their houses? How many have a screen door in your house? By the way, if your screen's ripped, you can go to EGS Glass Guys and we'll take care of your screens for you. <laughs> and if you're a customer... That's one price. If you're a child of God, that's another price. You know, we kind of mess around with that a little bit. You actually get a discount, you know. But anyway, if you're a tithe payer, it's yours free. We'll give it right to you. you know? <laughs> How about closet doors? Got closet doors? Are they sliding doors? No. Are they mirrored sliding doors? You can get mirrors too, AGS glass guys, just in case you want to know that. <laughs> How about glass shower doors? We have a sale on those too if you want some, you know. Pocket doors? How about a Dutch door? You know what a Dutch door is, don't you? They split, you know, one way or the other. And then there's also uh, uh, cellar doors and garage doors, bedroom doors, fire doors. Anybody got a revolving door? I think the church does <laughs> sometimes, you know. But, uh, you know, bedroom doors, bathroom doors. Any fire doors? You ought to have a fire door between your house and your garage. You ought to have one, you know, just in case, you know. Does anyone have a trap door in their house? Because if you do, I'm not coming. I'm not going to visit you. And one more time, if you have, now this is important, if you have a secret door, raise your hand. Well, good, because if you did, it wouldn't be a secret anymore, would it now? It's just kind of the way it is. You know, we think about doors, they have a lot of significance in our life. They really, truly do. We run into them all the time, amen? Because a door can be actually an entrance or it can be an exit. It can be a bridge or it can be a barrier to our lives. Doors can say welcome, or doors can say, what are you doing? There are many implications when it comes to doors and how we use them in our physical life, but also they have a spiritual connotation as well. In physical life, they can mean welcome, or you're not welcome. They can represent acceptance or rejection. Doors. What do they mean to us Spiritually. Jesus actually said that he was the door. That's important. In fact, the Bible re recognizes that doors can be an entrance to salvation. It can be an a passageway to discipline, a discipleship, a, a service door, a ministry. It can be an open door to outside missions. It can be an access door of prayer and a holy door of worship and a door of fellowship in life. So there are lots of implications when it comes to doors in your life. In fact, the Bible actually is identified as a mirrored door. Why is it called a mirror door? Because it's not just about reading the scriptures about and telling us about God, but it also the Bible also reveals who we are. It tells us about us. That's the part that sometimes causes us to put it aside. Revelation chapter 3. Now, it's not Revelations, by the way. Some people say, Revelations, let's go to the book of Revelations so we can figure out what the end times are going to be. If that's the reason why you're reading the book of Revelation, then you're going to get off because that's not what it's about. The book of Revelation is not about end times. It's about Jesus Christ. It reveals who he truly is. Amen. So Revelation is not plural at all. The book of Revelation actually begins with seven actual churches that were in existence at the time. And one of the churches was a church at Philadelphia, which is actually, today, today would be in modern day Turkey. Philadelphia actually means Greek, it's a Greek word meaning city of brotherly love. So Jesus has this message to the city, this church, city of Philadelphia. And this is what he says. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. Now who's speaking here? Talking about Jesus. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Thank God for that. I know your deeds, he says to this church. 
See, I have placed before you a what? Open door. Kind of fits for this morning's message, doesn't it? That no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word. Yet have not denied my name. Keys. Who holds the keys? Jesus. Now why in the world do you need keys? Well, you need keys to open up doors, do you not? You need that for access. Keys will open up the physical doors in your life. Jesus is saying, I am the door, I am the key to your spiritual life. And I'll open up a door. When I open it, no one can shut it. And if I shut a door, no one can open it up as well. Now Jesus says to this church, he says, I know everything about you. I know what you have done. And I'm placing an open door before you that no one can shut. I would like to think that he's saying to Crossroads, I know where you're at. I've been there. I've seen you. I know you've been faithful. I know that you're not so strong. He was being honest. But you've been faithful. You're here. You've been working. You've been listening. He's being honest. You've kept my word. You've kept my word. And I've opened this door to you. Let's call it the door of opportunity. Door of opportunity. He says, I know you don't have it all together, but at least you stayed with me. You keep showing up. Haven't denied me. So I'm going to open this incredible door of opportunity to you with the key of David. Now he's referencing Isaiah chapter 22. And I will place on the shoulders the key of the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. When I read this passage of Scripture, and I think of the Scripture itself in all the context of what's going on dealing with doors and with these passages here, I get the sense that God wants to open some major doors in our lives, doors to our future, doors that we've been dreaming of, opening ideas, dreams, etc. But the first thing you need to understand when it comes to doors is every door is a decision. Each door is a decision. And you're choosing your future through those doors. Circumstances do not define our future. Circumstances do not define our destiny. The choices we make determine our destiny. Every door you walk through, you've had a choice. You've had a choice to either walk by it or walk through it. But it's been your choice. I've learned pretty early in life, and probably you too, there are some doors you shouldn't walk through. There are some doors I should not have walked through. There are some doors that aren't worth walking through. But every time I walk up and see a door, I make a decision. Am I going through it or not? So the first thing you need to understand is, know that this is about doors, that your life, amen, a door in your life is, is a decision. And you're determining that, whether or not you walk through it. Secondly, I want you to understand that your destiny will be shaped by the door you walk past or by the door you walk through. Wow. Your destiny is determined by which door you pass through. Doors represent decisions, choices we make. Now the hard part about this is choosing the right door. Because every time you walk through that door, there's a cost of time. There's a cost of, of money, talent, resources. So you need to choose the right one. Or you waste your time, your life. True confession. How many of you have ever walked through a door and said, whoops, you thought it was right, but you turned out it wasn't so right. It kind of didn't turn out like you thought it would. And that door seemed like a door of opportunity. And you said, whoa, this is great, looks good. I'm going through this. It's got to be from God. It's for opportunity. And you got through it. You said, oh, no, this is terrible. How many have actually had that happen? Raise your hand. Not everybody did. Those that didn't, you're fibbing. Because all of us at some point in time have walked through doors, thought it was an opportunity, thought it was going to work out well for us, and it turned out to be a disaster. And we felt so assured. We had that peace about ourselves. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow. That didn't, where that come from, you know. And have you noticed if you walk through the wrong door, it's not so easy to get back in the path you were once on? 
It's not like you can just go, whoops, turn around and walk back and get out of there. No, no, no. It seems like you go, oh, no. And you look back and the path is like, where did he, how do I get back to where I was? And it takes some time for us to get back to where we once were. In fact, sometimes it could take years to get back to where we once were because we made that one choice that was wrong. We walked through the wrong door. Man, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Because there are some doors you walk through, it takes years and years and years to get back on track. And some of us know what it's talking about because the doors have consequences. And today in the world in which we live, we don't want to face consequences. We want to be able to do and go as we please. No problem, no consequence, no cost. And if there is a cost, let somebody else pay for it. Because we should have freedom to do whatever we please to do. I mean, isn't that the reason why God's here? Is to bail us out of all the stupid things we do? Shouldn't we just be able to call upon him? He's supposed to bless us and take care of us because he's got our back. Is this what Christianity is all about? I don't think so. See, what you need to do is you need to learn how to make wise decisions so when you front, are fronted by this door, you got to say, you know, do I walk through this or don't I? Is this a good door or a bad door? Is this a good decision or a bad decision? What should I do? How do I know? How do I know what the right door is? How do I know what is right, what is wrong? You need what the Bible calls discernment. 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 We need to be teaching our children and our grandchildren. We need to teach one another, encourage one another to get this gift called spiritual discernment that is missing from our world today. Discernment. 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 The more discerning you are, the wiser you'll be, and the better decisions you're going to make in your life. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 says, "Ah, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. There are doors before you. Some doors are going to bring life and what? Prosperity. Some are going to bring death and destruction, and we need to know which door to go through. And we can't be praying about, oh Lord, if this is the door, can grant me the peace. God said, I'm giving you a choice. You can choose life and success or choose death and disaster. It is your choice what you choose. Well, here's the problem <laughs> with, with trying to figure out what door we should take. Because sometimes <laughs> we can't see behind the door. You look for the, you know, you look for a peephole or something. You crack someone. Check it out. You like to know what's going to happen. You like to know is this safe or not? Do we have a hard time with it? Do you remember? Remember? Let's make a deal, Money Hall. There's always these numbers, right? These doors. Door number one, door number two, door number three, maybe four, whatever it was. And you had to pick a door. So you'd go up there, and they had the consistent there, and all dressed up, kind of goofy. And what door do you want, you know? And listen, if you pick the right door, you got yourself a brand new car. If you got the wrong door, you could come up with a zonk, you know? It could be a bottle, a bucket of dirt. It could be any, a, a goat. It could be anything. So it was really important that you make the right choice. And I'll tell you what. A car and a candy bar aren't the same. A car and a goat aren't the same. And so you need to make sure that you're making the right choice. You're choosing the right door. Because if you don't choose the right door, then you're going to waste your time, waste your money, waste your energy. You're going to waste your life. How do you make those decisions? Well, you make decisions with discernment. Guys, I've been your pastor for a long time. We have said around here that we don't change pastors, we change churches. Congregations. We've done that several times. Oh, it's terrible. You know I love you. Sometimes I don't say it enough, but I do. But the truth of it is, some of you have got some broken choosers. It's just the way it is. I love you. But you need to fix those broken choosers. You need to get them fixed or you need to get them somehow, you know, I don't know, restored because they ain't working right. They need, you need to add a little discernment to this going on. Our kids need, our kids, some of our young people got some broken choosers. And, and as adults, parents, we need to fix their choosers real quick. And if, they, and if their choices reflect your choices, then you need to get before the Lord and fix your chooser too because 
We don't want to keep generations going after another and just one bad after another. It's important. It's important that you learn why? Because your destiny is being determined by your choices. And your choices are determined by what doors you go through. Can you say amen? See, God wants to give you an opportunity. He wants you to give an opportunity. Just like, just like he was speaking to the church of Philadelphia, he wants also to give us an opportunity, that open door. He wants to give us an open door that would blow our minds if we would walk through them the right way at the right time and do the right thing. Notice how I said if we would do what? Walk through them the right way, the right time, and at the... You just can't go walking through a door. You've got to do it the right way, at the right time, amen, and do the right thing. And if you do that, that door can be an, ama can be an amazing journey through your life. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, you know what? God gave me this huge opportunity for good work. He opened it up to me. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He said, look at that. But I want you to note something. You can praise the Lord. Look at it. Because this great door of effective work was open to me. Wow! That's good. But look at the last part of it. And there were many who what? Opposed me. <laughs> we don't like, let's just get that out of the Bible, you know. We're prosperity preachers, so we don't want to get involved with that at all. But it's true. Say it with me. Opportunity plus opposition equals God's will. <laughs> God can open the door and it can be the right door. You can walk through the right door and be walked right into a buzzsaw. <laughs> and be like, whoa, did that come from, you know? I mean, I thought because God opened the door for me, it was going to be a problem-free kind of door. It doesn't mean that because Scripture, the, the apostles said, look at the Lord opened this great door, an effective work. He opened it for me, but there was many who opposed me. Amen. See, there's not going to be a problem-free door when you walk through that experience. Why? Because you're going to have to grow in character. That buzzsaw is there to teach you something. Wait a minute, I thought that door, God wanted me to go through, he did. And he does, but he didn't promise you a problem-free life. See, God's will means he'll help you solve the problems as you approach them. But we don't think that way. We think God's will means everything's going to be fine. It's all going to work out right. It's going to be smooth sailing. No, it's not. His promise is to help you through. Amen. If you listen. He's never, ever, ever promised a problem-free life. He'll help you solve those problems. So when he says there's an opportunity, so understand when there's an opportunity from God, understand there's going to be opposition. Evil's going to oppose you. You'll never have an opportunity from God that's not opposed by the evil one. So don't expect... No, no. You should expect. You should expect opposition. Whenever you're doing the right thing. See, we get this idea that it's if I'm doing the right thing, and then I shouldn't have opposition. Everything ought to come up roses. No, it does not. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Listen to me. You're doing the right thing. Expect opposition. It's just the way that it is. Come on now. God has an opportunity for you. He does. But you have to decide. Is the door that I'm seeing right now, is it from God? Is it an opportunity for him? Or is it just going to end up being a door of distraction? A door of distraction which is actually going to keep me from doing what God wants me to do. That door of distraction is going to end up, what's it going to end up? It's going to end up being a dead end. It's going to end up getting me off of track. And that's the reason why we need the gift of discernment. Because not every door is an opportunity from God. Some are distractions from people. Let me tell you something. God has a wonderful plan for our life. He tells us that. Amen. But we have to choose whether or not we want to follow his plan. He has a wonderful plan for our life. And let me tell you something. With that plan, it offers all kinds of opportunities. But here's the key. Not only does God have an awesome plan for your life, 
everyone else does too. And they're going to offer all kinds of opportunities for you. Opportunities that sound really, really good. And how you can use your time, your talent, your finances, your energy. But they're not good. They're just distractions. Taking you away from what God would have you do. Okay, so bottom line is this. When you see an open door, it doesn't mean that it's automatically God's will. It doesn't mean that he's calling. That's what he's calling you to do for the rest of your life. Because it actually could create a trap from the evil one. Could be. It could be. <laughs> wow. What are you going to do? You ever feel like that, you know, all of a sudden? You know, in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus turns about and he says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block, or a, we could say, you are a dangerous trap to me. You don't have the... You, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so this passage of Scripture fits what we're saying. Satan, say, oh, Jesus says to, 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 to Peter, Peter, you're, you're from Satan. Get away from me. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're looking at things merely from a human view, viewpoint, not from God's. And I started thinking that makes sense because every single time I look at my future from a human viewpoint, it's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Anytime I look at my problems from a human's viewpoint instead of God's viewpoint, it's a trap. So we've got to know, we've got to know, is it an opportunity from God, is it a distraction from others, or is it a, a trap from the evil one? And this is also I've learned about doors. Sometimes God shuts a door for my protection. Genesis 7th chapter, verse 16. I chose the message because it's the only translation I could get that says, and God shut the door. <laughs> sealed them in, all the other ones sealed them in, but I wanted the door. So I found the message. They came, they talk about the animals, they came to Noah and to the ship in pairs. Okay, and that's not fruit, okay? Just so you know that. Everything and anyone, anything, that, well, <laughs> how did the worms come? In pairs. All right, anyways, everything and anything had the breath of life in it. Male and female, every creature came just as God had commanded Noah. Then God shut the door. Now, when did God shut the door? After Noah had done everything he was supposed to do. He had followed the commands. He had done everything he needed to do. And you say, well, why did he shut the door? Well, first of all, Noah had finished everything he was supposed to do. And also to protect Noah from the storms. Now, understand something. When God shuts a door, no one's going to open it. And when he opens a door, no one's going to shut it. And he shuts this door to protect Noah. And sometimes that's going to happen in your life. And I'm going to tell you what, when he shuts a door on you, it may not feel real good, but it's there for your protection. The next thing I learned from God's word, that if a door is truly open from God, then there's a way to know. His word will never, ever, ever, that opportunity, that door, will never, ever, ever contradict what he's already said in his word. Now there's a lot of things that he has said in his word. There's a lot of times he says, I don't want you to do that, I want you to do this. Here's the truth. He will never tell you something different than he's already said. And if the door is telling you something different then it's not a door from God. If that door, that choice, goes against the precept or principle of God's word, then you don't go through it. It's not of God. I don't care how good it seems. The end is not justified by the means. Can you say amen? In fact is, Matthew 24 and verse 35 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my what? Words will never pass away. You know what that means? That means what, is, what was true a thousand years ago is true now. And what is true now will be a, true a thousand years from now. And what was wrong a thousand years ago 
is still wrong today, and it's going to be wrong a thousand years from today. Now, people would like you to think that truth is kind of, you know, it's kind of squishy. It's kind of moving around. It's relevant to the moment. No, it's not. Truth is truth. Next thing I learned, and this is real important, that if God opens doors for me, he will do it if I open doors for others. Look what he said. Proverbs says this. Generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Wow. I mean, that's like the golden rule. Do unto others you would have them do unto you. And you say, well, why is God putting such put emphasis on, on giving? Because he's a giver. Somewhere in the Bible I heard that John, that Jesus said, well, he, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. It's someplace in the Bible. He's a giver. He wants you to learn to be a giver. He wants you to learn to be generous. And that's why the Bible is very good and very clear in Proverbs. A generous man will prosper. Did you know, did you know that there are more promises in the Bible about generosity than any, any other subject? Now when I talk about generosity, I'm not talking about giving all your money away. I'm talking about being generous with your time, generous with your, your praise, generous with your energy, being generous with your home. That's called hospitality. One of the keys, true keys, of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to be known for your hospitality. You say, well, why is that? Why does God make such a big deal on hospitality, being generous? Why? Because he's a giver, because God's so loved. Why? Because you were made in God's image. You were saved, set free to become more like him. Amen. And so therefore, God wants you to learn of Learn to grow up to be like him. What a better way of witnessing to someone than open up your home and just share with them. Be generous to them. Being kind to them. I don't have time for that. Well, I'm sure glad that God made time to be generous to me. And he still does. He wants you to be a generous man or a generous woman. He wants people to look at you and say, oh, hey, that person's generous. She's generous. He's generous. How do you know? Because you know what? They open up their doors. You just, you just make, they just make people, they just make me feel welcome. They make me feel welcome. And there's promise after promise after promise. But God says, if you open doors, I will what? I will bless you. When you're generous, I'll be generous. Because God is looking for people to bless. His own people and folks is wanting to come to know him. Amen. Look what Job said here. Job said it. The men of my household have never said, who has not had this is full of Job's meat. In other words, these guys are saying, when you're at Job's table, you get stuffed. He must have had a little Italian in it, you know. Wow. Folks, let me tell you something. Over the years, if you've been under the ministry here for any length of time, I mean, the truth is, I've opened a lot of doors for you. I've helped you know God in a better way, a more intimate way. I've taught you the Word the best that I possibly could. I've taught you to how you see yourself differently than other people do, and I wanted you to see life differently, and I wanted you to see our God differently than maybe you have in the past. I wanted you to see God in your presence and your past and in your future. The truth of the matter is, over the years, I've opened a lot of doors for you. Now God wants you to open doors for others. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Amen. And let me give you something else. Sometimes God cracks open a door to give you a glimpse of your future long before you're ready to walk through. So why does he do that? Because if he told you all at once, you'd freak out. You'd be like, whoa, he wants me to do that? I can't do that. It's impossible. Oh, I can't handle this. He, he does it to inspire you to grow. He's putting that little thought, that little burden, that little idea in your mind because he wants you now to develop. That's part of the, he's revealing your giftedness. He's drawing you. He, he wants you to develop that. He gives you this glimpse of your future long before you're ready. God has a destiny for our lives, but we have to choose. 
And by the way, no one, no one can destroy your destiny except you. God won't. The devil won't. Other people can't. No matter what people do to you, they cannot destroy your destiny. The only person who has ever tried to destroy your destiny is you. Because you made the wrong choices. You walked through the wrong door. You saw the light and said, that's ah, got to be there. It looks so good, so much. How many of you guys spend a lot of time watching those infomercials? And you're buying all that stuff that they put out there. It's a miracle working stuff. Why? I refused, did this years ago. Years ago, there was some sale, something. Angela saw you get a pair of shoes, like $5 a pair of shoe, wherever it was. Well, they're wingtip shoes, and she thought, I need a new pair of shoes, so she bought me a pair of wingtip shoes and loafers. Okay? And I walked with them. They squeaked! They did this. I'm a Bible study. Crunch, crunch, crunch. So what is up with these things, man? It was terrible. <laughs> I said, Angela, you got to stop doing that. Don't buy. Oh, but they were such a good deal. I can't wear them. Come on. This is ridiculous. <laughs> they were horrendous, you know. And they really weren't even leather. They were like plastic. They was like molded. It's what they were. It was terrible. I had to get rid of those things as quick as I possibly could. But see, we get caught up in that because we hear, oh, it's got to get this and all it does this. And you take it home and it doesn't work. You go to the fairs, you know, and they got these crazy little things you can slice and dice. You try to do it, it doesn't work. Wow. God Almighty help us. Nobody can destroy your destiny, only you can. Only you can. He'll never, ever, ever reveal everything to you at once. Never. He won't. It's not like God, what he does, he give you life to Jesus. What he does is he lays out this map. He says, you're here, and this is where you're going to be. He doesn't do that. You say, why he doesn't do that? Because you got a choice. You can choose to screw your life up. You don't have to follow. Just because he has a plan and purpose for your life doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Because you have a choice in this. You have a choice to follow him or not. And he's not going to force his will on you. He's not. And then if he did, <laughs> wow. And if he did, like I said, he would scare you to death if he actually revealed what he wants you to do. And what he has more and more, oh boy. And the other thing too is he doesn't reveal everything because he wants to keep you close and dependent upon him. So he gives you one little bit at a time. So we're not overwhelmed by what's going on. And so we can all, so, so it allows us to develop the character that we need to be able to continue. If, you, if you're not developing, if God's not developing his character and the fruit of the Spirit in your life, then you're going to be at, in a hold position. You're not going to be able to move on. It's holding you back. It's holding you back. say, okay, how do you know which door to walk through and which one to pass by? Which, God has, which door has God prepared for you and which one is a distraction? Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Paul writes this, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in what? In knowledge. Not in feeling. In knowledge. And in depth of insight. Come with discernment. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be, may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Verse 11 says, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God our Father. Listen as he be filled. How are you filled with the fruit of righteousness? When your love begins to abound. Your love for who? For Christ. For the word. The word made flesh to develop in your life. When I have a desire for Christ. For his word to be developed in my life. Then what? Then I, I'm going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And in doing that I will exempt, I will gain knowledge. And I will gain insight. And that knowledge and insight is designed so that I might be pure and blameless 
unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the world's going to blame us. They're going to say all kinds of things. But I need to be blameless before my king. And that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It means being blameless, I'm under his grace. I'm under his mercy. To be blameless doesn't mean I've not screwed things up and I've made the wrong choices. No. To be blameless means I'm under his grace and under his mercy. I spend time before his throne. He expects me to blow it. He expects me to mess up. He knows me. How many times the Lord has said, you're doing it again. You know, we do marriage seminars, doing, when, I, when we marry folks, sometimes, you know, in death you part, and you know, do you wish, but I really want to say, do you love, I want to say, and you promise to love them when, you, when, they, when their pain's in the neck and they, you, they, you want to kill them. Because that's what's going to happen. You try to make it all flowery, everything's wonderful. No, it's not. You're going to have a problem. Get through it, though. How will you get through it? I'll get through it because my love for Christ is abounding in knowledge, in depth of insight. So I'm not looking at things at the surface. I'm getting to see things the way they are. And if that spouse is driving me nuts, then God's giving me the insight so I can understand why. And I get better minister. It doesn't necessarily make it easier. Well, at least I, <laughs> I have some understanding for why it is, why they're being what they are. That's what he says. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father. That's my prayer. That's what he says. My prayer is that your love will keep growing for Christ more and more because God wants you to grow in more in love and knowledge and depth of insight, greater discernment. If you have your Bibles, you can circle depth of insight. And notice the rest of the passage says this. The rest of the verse says, and you'll be able to discern. You don't need to run around and ask a whole bunch of people what you ought to do. Listen to me. If your love for Jesus Christ is growing, growing, and growing, if you have a love for his word, amen, and you're allowing his word to develop in your life those precepts and principles to take hold of you, then you're going to know. But if you just kind of live day by day, kind of doing your own thing, going with the flow, figuring it's all going to work out anyways, or something, it's going to be what it is, then you're never going to fulfill what God has in your life. My prayer for you, he says, this is your love will keep growing more and more. The rest of the verse says you'll be able to discern, make the right choices. And notice what helps you make the right choices, that love and knowledge and discernment. Again, the most important one, the most important concept in the Bible is discernment. And that's lacking. It's lacking. So is it lacking. Discernment. Knowing which door to walk through. Knowing which one is a waste of time, money, and energy. Now, I think one of the reasons why we don't have a discerning spirit any longer, like we should have, is because we weren't taught. What we've been taught over years, we've been taught that everything is going to be like it is. And so we take things at face value. We decide on face value what it looks like, what it feels like. Someone says, I don't know. It's just in the Lord's hand. There's just some things you don't understand. We just got to trust that it'll all work out. I tell you what, when you, when you face life like that, you're in big trouble. Because you're not making life, you're not making choices based on, on wise discernment. But you're making decisions based on how things look how things look to be. And you think, well, you know, it'll pass. I don't know, it'll turn out. It's part of God's will. And you don't think about it. You don't think about future consequences because it's all planned out. Folks, you have a choice. Your destiny is in your hands. God has a plan and purpose for your life, but you've got to learn to plug into that. Amen. It just isn't going to happen. God Almighty, give us the gift of discernment. Give us the gift of discernment. Give us a gift of discernment. Look at David prayed, Psalm 119. In fact, the entire Psalm 119 we studied that is all about the Bible, all about God's Word. Specifically, verse 65 and 66. Look at David said. David said this, and he prayed this prayer, a prayer I think all of us should pray. Do good to your servant. Okay, change page. 
No, no. According to what? According to your word. Do good to your servant according to your word. Oh Lord, teach me knowledge and good judgment. Notice the key of learning knowledge and good judgment. For I what? Believe in your commands. See, that's important. David was going to learn. He said, do good to your servant according to your word. Notice that. And I believe in your commands. I apply that. Teach me, Lord, your knowledge and good judgment through your word. That's how I learned it. It's the will of God that every child of his has a spiritually discerning. Has a spiritual discerned spirit. It's all about making the right judgments. It's all about passing through the right door. Looking beneath the surface to the things so we can see them as they really are. And the last thing we need is more information. You can get yourself so bogged down with information and do absolutely nothing. In fact, I'll tell you what, the more and more information you have, the more confusion you're going to get into your life. At some point, you've got to say enough's enough. And I know I'm a process kind of guy. No, I'm not. I'm not a process kind of guy. I'm a kind of guy that says, here's what needs to be done, let's do it. I'm not one that likes to go through the process and all the meetings and all the talk. And all the... I have a saying, after all is said and done, more is said than done. And I feel that way, and my wife drives me nuts, drives her nuts when I say that, you know, going more and stop. It's because it's a principle. There's a time to put everything on the table, work it, but then there's a time to make a decision to go with it. Can't keep talking about it. And let's go with, with, with the principles of God's word. The right idea, right thought. More knowledge just brings confusion. So, so, so how does one increase spiritual discernment? First of all, we have to realize that God is the only one that can increase knowledge, can increase wisdom, excuse me, wisdom. Look what the scripture says, and we've read this before. If anyone lacks what? What are we supposed to do? And what will he do? Without? That's important. He's saying to you, Lord, give me wisdom. I can't give it to you because you're a screw up. Look at doing this, get this taken care of, take care of this. Take. No, he says, no, he's going to do it generously without finding fault. He already knows who we are and what we are. Thank God for that. You're not hiding anything. Oh, Lord, I can't tell you that, Lord. You know. Stop. He says, without finding fault, it'll be given to him. Who what? Who asks? Who realizes? I lack wisdom, Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and, we just looked at that, and depth of insight. Knowing the wisdom to distinguish good from evil. It comes from what? It comes from the Word of God. It comes from training. It comes from practice. Going to the Bible. Learning the truth. Meditating upon the Word. So that it reinforces the truth. You have to know the truth. You have to know truth before you can find out what evil looks like. We run around sometimes trying to point our finger what evil is. You can't get it right that way. Listen. The best way to recognize a phony uh, counterfeit dollar bill or a $20 bill is to have a real intimate understanding of the real thing. You could teach bankers to, to look at all these fakes, put all these phony counterfeit dollar bills in front of them, have them learn them, look at them, feel them, touch them. Get it. it wouldn't help. Why? Because there's so many counterfeit bills coming out every day. You wouldn't be able to figure them all out because somebody's going to slide one through that you don't know. So the best thing to do is forget about looking and examining all the counterfeit. Look at the truth. Look at the real one. Get to know the real one. You want to be able to discern right from wrong and know the real truth of God's word? Then get to know him, his word. And when false comes up, you're going to see it. Like, whoa, I know what that is because I've examined the truth. I've examined his word. I've examined Christ. That, I don't care what it looks like. It's an angel of light. It's not right. Why? Because I know his word. I know the precepts principle. The best way of recognizing a counterfeit bill is to have an intimate knowledge of the real thing. You study the authentic bills. You, as bankers, you study the authentic ones and then you won't be fooled when the counterfeit one comes along. And that's what we have to do as Christians to develop spiritual discernment. You've got to know the authentic so well. That when the false shows up, you recognize it. How do you do that? By knowing and obeying the word of God. 
If you do that, you'll be trained. You'll be trained by consistent practice to distinguish good from evil. We'll know God's character. We will know his will. And the very heart of spiritual discernment is to be able to distinguish the voice of the world from the voice of our God, to have a sense that this is right and this is wrong. No gray areas. This is right and this is wrong. Spiritual discernment will fend off temptation. Amen. And allow us tonight and finish this. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, Love must what? Be sincere. Now love we're talking about to love one for another, but you cannot love one another until you have a love for Christ. Love must be sincere. Now notice what love, sincere love does. It hates what is and clings to what is good. That's a definition of righteousness. I hate what is evil. I cling to what is good. A definition of righteousness. I hate what God hates. And I love what God loves. You can define righteousness any way you want to. Right relationships. You go back deep and all. It's real simple. I love what God loves and I hate what God hates. That's righteousness. And we have to develop that. Because our natural tendencies is not to go that route. You've got to know the right thing. You've got to know the right thing. Now, once you know the right thing, once you've gone through the whole process, discernment says, this is what you need to do, and it's of God, it's an open door, I'm going to go for it. Now here's important. You need courage. You've got to be able to walk through the right doors. Because you may know the right thing to do, but be still scared to death to do it. I want you to understand this. It's extremely important. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing even when you're fearful. It's doing the right thing even when you're scared to death. I'm going to tell you what. It takes courage to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness. It takes courage to go to somebody, amen, who has scarred you, hurt you. To be reconciled to someone, it takes courage. You can be scared to death, but you're going to do it anyways. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's something you have to be learned. You have to learn to do that. Because you can get to a point where that's why we need brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage us. Strengthen. It takes courage to do that. It's the right thing, but you're scared to death. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's courage doing it, doing the right thing when you're fearful. Solomon. Solomon was given the task by his dad, by the Lord himself, to build the temple. Okay? And the scripture here says, I went over to it. David gave the plans to his son. Given this assignment to build this building, this enormous building project. And Solomon feels a little overwhelmed. And look what it says, verse 12. David, he gave him the plans of all the spirit had put upon his mind in the courts of the temple of the Lord. And all the surrounding rooms, the treasuries of the temple of the Lord, of God. And for all the treasuries and all of the dedicated things. Verse 19. All this, David said, I have written from the, I have in, I have in writing from the hand of the Lord upon me, and He gave me understanding in all the details of the plans. Look at verse twenty. And David also said, Solomon, which is Solomon his son, be what, strong, courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you. Or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Why did David say, why did David say to Solomon, I want you to be strong and be encouraged? Because when he's laying out the plans, he could see it in his son's eyes. Oh no. He could just see the fear, the I'm not ready for this kind of a thing. David, you got the plans, Father. Do you build it? David said, No, you have to. I'm a man of war. He said, Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened by the size of the task. The Lord's with you. Don't fail. Listen, David was saying, God does not sponsor flops. So you're good. It'll work out. Go by his plan. A little bit at a time. Do the next thing. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you fulfill God's plan in your life? 
one step at a time. You take care of the steps, today's journey will take care of itself. Take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. If you're doing it according to God's will and way. Amen? So he's scared to death. God, don't worry about it. Okay, here we are. You're a child of God. You realize this is the door you need to go through. You believe it according to his will and way. You understand you're staying outside another door to your destiny. But you just don't feel peace about it. And because you don't feel peace about this thing, you wait. You'll end up doing nothing. And most people do nothing because they never feel the peace about going through that door. Let me explain something to you. This is going to go against so much teaching and so much that we hear. You're not going to feel peace on this side of the door. You're not going to feel victory on this side of the door. You've got to pass through. When you get on the other side, that's when the victory is felt. And that's when the peace will be there. Amen. You're not supposed to feel peace on this side of the door. You only get peace when you pass through. Amen. You only get the peace that passes all understanding when you pass through in obedience while you're scared to death. Because once you get on the other side, then God will give you peace. Oh, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting for God to give me the sense of peace. Let me tell you something. If you're, I'm waiting. You know, I looked at this house and I saw it and I just got the sense of peace. This is the one. If you're waiting in advance for God to give you peace when to, buy, to buy that house or to start a job or do anything in life, you're not going to get much done. Because you're not supposed to feel the peace before you do something. No, no, no. Why? Because your decision is based upon the word of God. His promises. It is. God is. God's asking you to do something. It's probably going to scare you to death. And I don't want you to think about the big thing right now. What I want you to think about is doing those little things. Those baby steps. Be faithful in the little things. Start by doing this thing that honors him. Look at Luke chapter 16, 20, 10 says this. Whoever can be trusted with the very, what? Little things can also be trusted with much. Okay, that's important. Be faithful in the little things. And you'll be scared to death in the little things. But it's God's word, God backing. Do it. Amen. Don't wait to find. Oh, as a Christian, I hear so often, I know it was the right thing because I just had this peace about me. Stop. It's an emotion. If you're feeling that, if that's what you govern your life by, making choices, you're going to be led astray. Because the heart is what? It's wicked above all. Our emotions will deceive us. And there's so many Christians who make decisions based upon whether or not they have peace about it. And then I see them after a while, they do, they do the thing, and then they're devastated because all this didn't work out right. They don't understand it. God abandoned them. It's, no, you shouldn't have done it to begin with. But I had peace. And you talked yourself into it, what you did. Stop. Can't do that. Don't expect peace to come before you obey. It just doesn't happen that way. God only gives peace after you obey. Think about the many, many... Those walls of Jericho didn't come down until they marched around, did what they needed. They didn't experience peace until the walls came down. And they didn't get the walls down until they did what God had asked them to do, as foolish as it may have been. They didn't... They didn't find God's victory when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the water. They didn't find God's victory prior to that. They had to step in. Verse after verse, account after account says, you need to step out. God gives you the call. He shows you His Word. He's given you the plan, etc. Now step out. Step out. Don't make your judgment based upon peace. Made upon His Word. And if you want to take and find counsel between some other brothers and sisters that know the Lord, Praise God, you ask them. That's okay. It's not wrong to ask counsel. But don't let your desire be determined by your peace. You're looking for something. You're looking for a sign. Whether or not they should do this. You're waiting for God to give you peace. It's not the way, it's not the way to discern. That's not the way you discern something's right or wrong. Peace comes after courage. 
I'm going to tell you something. If you have a desire to gain spiritual discernment, it shows as a measure of spiritual discernment itself right there. Because biblical spiritual, biblically spiritual discernment or wisdom has to do with the capacity of knowing knowledge. Knowing. And it comes from a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A desire to know him better. To know him better. To know him better. When you get to know him better, you're going to gain that spiritual discernment. You're going to grow in knowledge. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He said this, it is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. It is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Who has become wisdom from God? Jesus has, the word made flesh dwelling among us. That becomes our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption as it is developed in our lives. Can you say amen? We're told again that we gain wisdom by study. No, that's what the world tells us. The world says you gain wisdom by studying, by getting all kinds of knowledge, by common sense. Let me tell you, those are fine things to have in your life, but they're not going to result in spiritual development. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said this, he said man's wisdom is his foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.25 and spiritual discernment is granted by God and grown by training in righteousness and in prayer. That righteousness, right relationship, loving what God loves, hating what God hates. Establishing boundaries for my children that are godly boundaries. Even though it makes it uncomfortable for you, stop giving a kid a cotton pick an iPad just to shut them up and give them in the corner. Teach them. Let the word of God be upon their foreheads and upon their... Always be exposing to the principles of God's word. Don't cut them slack. Come on now. But I don't want them to rebel. Listen to me. If you don't show them the word, you might have a happy home, but they're going to screw their lives up on the other side, and you're going to have problems on the other side. Pay the price now so they can have a good life later. Or at least get them, have them still have the right choice. Can you say amen? Spiritual dirt are granted by God and grown in grace. Amen. Notice the last one, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. 14 says this, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained them to distinguish. What's the solid food? The Word of God. Have I eaten and hidden in my heart? It's by constantly eating the Word of God. Solid food. He, he got on, folks, but he said, listen to me. You're on milk, and you're, you're on all the weak stuff. You should be on strong meat. You ought to be in something more. As you are maturing, and you develop that relationship, and you get the Word of God in you, not reading the Word of God in a way that judges you and makes you feel, oh my God, I'm doing wrong. Take the Word of God because, like I said, revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. God's Word is a revelation of God to you and what He wants for your life. Stop running from it thinking it's a judgment thing. It's not. It's His love letter to you. Receive it in Jesus' name. Spiritual, strong, solid food is for the mature who by constant use, I'm doing it all the time, not just when I'm in trouble. I pray before the Lord when I have a problem. Stop. There should be a constant relationship. That helps us. We're instructed, Scripture says, to actually pray for wisdom. We're wrapping this thing up, so chill. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. What does it say? If anyone asks lack wisdom, what do we should do? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is what? I breathe and use for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Oh, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means to be thoroughly equipped for every good work means to be able to discern what is right and wrong, what you should, what should, what doors you go through, which ones you don't go through. Which door will you choose? Door number one, door number two, door number three, or door number four? The choice is yours. Are you ready to make that choice? Choose today. Resolve today whom you're going to serve. Choose today whether or not the word is going to become part of your life. The principles of your life are going to be the boundaries of your life. Regardless of how it makes you feel, regardless of, of the opposition you might get, choose today. Amen. Choose today. Choose today. Resolve today, this morning, to agree to acquire spiritual discernment. And God's word this morning is showing us just exactly how to do it. Is that all right? Amen. I want us to spend some time before the Lord. I want us at this moment to 
ask the Lord what to do. Where you are, to the altar. Father, I need your wisdom. I've got, I've, I'm living my life by experiences. I make decisions based upon what I've gone through in the past. I make experience, decisions based upon, you know, Dr. Oz or whomever. I make decisions based upon my mom and dad, what they think. The culture's told me, no, no. Father, give me your wisdom. I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. And he's going to respond by saying, then become one with my word. Start there. Start there. Amen. Well, if I come down and you lay hands on me and the Holy Spirit, he'll take care of it all. No, 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 listen to me. You have to have the word in you before he can take and use it and open it up. Amen. Amen. So let's spend some time before the Lord. It's still, it's still, still before 3 o'clock. We're okay. Hey, the heat came up. Feel that? Are you feeling warm or is it just me feeling warm? It's just me, huh? <laughs> Wow. I think I was preaching on hell or something. Jesus. <laughs> All right, let's come before the Lord and spend some time before him in prayer. Amen.